Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. In the case of Raider Nation this morning, I actually think that's what everybody needs to hear because that's all the Raiders really needed last night. And they needed it badly, and they got it. A win. They got it done. So, And the reason I'm directing this at Raider Nation and Raider fan is, no, that was not a pretty game. No, Jimmy G did not exactly set the world on fire. And I had a moment or two where I thought, how did they let that guy out of protocol? He obviously should not be out of protocol. Not with that decision. And yes, Josh McDaniels was trending after the game, and it was not because the X was full of praise. And by the way, the X is rarely full of praise. The X was the same, in fact, as it generally is. Full of people getting high on haterade. It hit me last night. Hate is the new dopamine. It's addictive as hell. And people simply cannot get enough. Load that syringe up with hate and blast me in the ass with it. Except the hate junkies complaining about how the Raiders found a way to a dub are missing the fact. This is what I'm trying to set up for you. You're missing the fact. It's kind of like, hey, Rome. Hey, big head. Yeah, you went 5-0. and Well, until last night. Hey, thanks for nothing, Jordan Love. You went 5-0, and but the fact of the matter is, all you did was pick the winners. Like, like what? You're missing the point. A dub is a dub. A win is a win. What? Nobody can take that from you. So you hate junkies complaining about how the Raiders found a way to the dub are missing the fact altogether. The fact being, they found a way to a dub. A dub that Raider Nation desperately needed. A dub that Raider head coach desperately needed. The Raiders haven't beaten the Packers since 87 That is somehow a real fact. So again, how are you getting hung up on how it looked, how it felt, and all the negatives when all you have to focus on is the one big positive, the dub, especially after that brutal week that the Raiders just had? I mean, let us recap this very quickly. First, they lost to the Chargers, their bitter, hated rival. On top of that, Josh Jacobs, one of their stars, went off about how he's sick and tired of losing. I'm tired of losing. Just keep it 100. I'm tired of losing, man. And uh, I mean, I, I feel like every day I go in there and I, and I work my ass off. So eventually something got to give. Respect. I respect him giving it 100, keeping it 100. That does get old. Never a great sign. Never a great time when one of your star players says, hey, man, I'm sick of it. I'm sick of busting my ass and working hard every day and having nothing to show for it. Not a good sign. I'll tell you, not another good sign. The fans getting up in the grill of Mark Davis and it going viral because for some reason the bowl cut thought that it might be a good idea to sit within shouting distance of Raider fan. So, of course, Raider fan shouted this into the bowl cut's grill. Yeah, so like I said, my man, Josh, he needed this win. 
And look, I'm not saying that Josh coached a perfect game or anything close to it. No, his decision to try a 52-yard field goal with two minutes left instead of going for a fourth and one, they would have basically slammed the door shut. Yeah, that decision was not statistically, by the book, the correct call. The numbers say you go for it. The book says you go for it. Analytics say you go for it. In fact, the Next Gen Stats tweeted that it was the quote, this is amazing, quote, most suboptimal call of the season, end of quote. That according to the numbers, which is pretty hard to believe because there have been some seriously, outrageously suboptimal coaching decisions this season. Ask any Charger fan. But you know what would be even more suboptimal than that field goal decision? Losing the game. What I'm saying is anyone caught up on that decision is missing the point. Point being the total off-the-rails disaster that people were expecting from the Raiders last night didn't actually happen. That was not the product that the Raiders put on the field last night. An actual football team showed up, and they won a pretty big game. And they actually did make some plays. They actually did show some heart and some effort. They actually made a few heady plays, including... And this is the most counterintuitive thing ever, but including the most brilliant horse collar ever. I'm not sure that anybody's ever called a horse collar heady, but Marcus Peters had a really heady horse collar. That epic chase down of Christian Watson saved a touchdown and ultimately saved the game for the Raiders with that penalty. I mean, how funny is that? The same dude, and this is even funnier because he is the same dude. The same dude who made headlines for liking social media content, calling for the head coach's job last week. That guy. That guy saved the game with a horse collar. Now, I'm not sure that Marcus Peters was thinking to himself, hey, man, I better horse collar this dude because he's going to score. I think he was just trying to stop him from scoring. But the penalty prevented the score, which saved the game, which is pretty incredible. And it's the same guy that was liking social media content, calling for his coach's head. But then again, if you're going to show up and make heady hustle plays that save ball games, I don't really think Josh is sweating what the dude liked on Instagram. In fact, Josh straight up praised the dude and the play after the game because deep down Josh may think or know that that heady horse caller did save his job. Talk to Marcus. It's the right penalty. You know, um, you know that that's a really smart play in a critical time in the game. And you know, if it's the first quarter in the middle of the field, you don't want a horse collar. You know, but if you're saving a touchdown on a long play like that, you at least give yourself a chance to play a few more downs, which he did. Um, and then the defense really rose up and, and played well. I thought they played well all night for the most part. Or give yourself a chance to actually coach a few more days (laughs) you gotta admit that's such a hilarious line I'm not sure I've ever heard a coach talk about a heady horse collar or heard a coach praise a horse collar penalty but Josh is right it was the right penalty it was a really smart play and also a really high effort play for a dude who was liking posts calling for Josh's head last week I mean if you were a bad guy and really had that in him, he might be thinking to himself, for who, for what? If I make this play, 
That might save my coach's job. But he was all out. And while I'm shouting out effort plays, let me also shout out the always outrageous effort of that absolute psycho coming off the edge whose motor never, ever stops. This dude is an absolute maniac. The Condor, Mad Max. I cannot tell you how much I admire this guy. His prep, his work ethic, his grind, his engine, his motor, his relentlessness. This dude is incredible. And no, I'm not basing that on last night, just generally. What an unbelievable story this guy is. He's an unstoppable force. He's a phenomenon. He's Max freaking Crosby. He also leads off the field. Check out his act after the game, hyping up the defense for coming up as big as it did. Everyone was saying it's a fluke that we, you know, held the Chargers to nothing in the second half, and then we come out, we play better this week. So um, for us, it's just about being solution-based and getting better every single time we go on the field. You know, it's not about, you know, the panic, the all that, the panic, the stress, all that. It's like, all right, we're going to do this together. We're the only guys we got, and we're going to find a way. And that's what we're banking on and trusting each other, trusting the coaching staff, and, you know, just continuing to improve. So, you know, we hear a lot of noise all during the week. We hear it all the time. But at the end of the day, um, we're out there, and we got to win. This dude can say whatever the hell he wants. I mean, he is a superstar. He is a superstar. He is a monster. He's an alpha. Every time that guy plays, if you watch him, not to go coach speak on you, but he jumps off the film. He is criminally underrated. He's not only one of the most underrated guys in that league, I think Max Crosby is one of the most underrated humans walking around the planet. I love this guy. I, I think he is an absolute animal in the best way possible. Let me talk to you for a moment about one of my favorite products ever, HelloFresh. What is HelloFresh? What it is is farm fresh, pre-portioned ingredients, and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. You can skip trips to the grocery store. You can count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable, and that's why it's America's number one meal kit. Kickstart a fresh fall routine with HelloFresh. HelloFresh handles all the meal planning and shopping to deliver everything you need to cook up a tasty meal right at home. They do the hard part, and you get to take credit. And when it comes to options, honestly, more is more. That's why HelloFresh's menu includes 40 recipes and over 100 add-on items to choose from every single week. I love it. Comes right to the doorstep, all these tremendous ideas and great meals. Find out for yourself. Go to HelloFresh.com slash 50Rome. Use the code 50Rome for 50% off plus 15% off the next two months. Once again, HelloFresh.com slash 50Rome. Make sure to use the code 50Rome and get 50% off plus 15% off the next two months. HelloFresh.com slash 50Rome. And he's got a point. There is a lot of noise. Now, understandably, there is a lot of noise, but there is a lot of noise. But that defense came up huge, huge last night because as it has been all year, the offense was the opposite of huge last night. The offense was anemic last night. The offense was practically worthless. They still haven't scored 20 points in a game this year. Of course, the game came down to a defensive play. 
but incredibly, a defensive play. And this should tell you all you need to know about the Raiders and the Packers or something about those two teams. A defensive play that was a jump ball in the end zone before a five foot eight inch between a five foot eight inch Amik Robertson and a six foot four Christian Watson. And somehow the little dude comes down with it. Somehow, despite giving away an absurd eight inches to Watson, Robertson rises up and snatches that Jordan Love throw and the dub away from the Packers. And I'm here to say, not to make it personal and not to have it impact this take at all, just sidebar, it's going to be a hell of a long time before I bet money on Jordan Love again, frankly. Frankly. So once again, it wasn't pretty, but the effort was there. The big plays were there. It was enough to win the game. The Raiders still haven't scored 20. That's a real problem. And I know how frustrating that is. But they got enough to get by last night. And now they're rewarded with the upcoming schedule. Take a look at it, Raider fan. Pats, Bears, Lions, Giants, Jets. Lions aside, there are a bunch of extremely winnable games coming up. I'm not saying you're a playoff team. I'm not saying you're a contender. I'm saying winning last night keeps things interesting. Because they've got basically the bottom of the league lined up for them. Now, on to you, Wisco fan, quickly. Rough game, rough loss. Definitely, quote, suboptimal. Now, I would, I would say that Jordan Love's performance was below suboptimal. That was his worst game to date. It was his worst game to date. Now, let me say this about Love. I'm not saying that I expected this guy to step in and be Aaron Rodgers. Although some of you Packer fans who hate Aaron incredibly and stupidly thought that you'd be better off with Love than Rodgers. You did. Own that. I never thought that. I thought only that both sides, the Packers and Aaron Rodgers, needed a change. They would benefit from a change. But I never thought that Love would step in and be better than Rodgers or be Rodgers or be anywhere near that neighborhood. That's fine. I didn't expect that. Rodgers was arguably the best player in Packer history. But let me say this. I'll tell you what I did expect. I did expect Jordan Love to step in and do more and be more than he's doing. More than the occasional flash. Because he's not doing a hell of a lot. And last night, he pretty much did nothing at all. Be careful what you wish for, Packer fan, because this is exactly what most of you wish for. Rough night for the Pack. Much better night for the Raiders. But the bowl cut still seemed pretty red-assed in his box. Mark Davis had a seat that was not immediately on top of the fans, But something still clearly aggravated him to the point where he went super viral yet again. Lip readers interpreted him saying, what a bleep hole. Now, I wonder what the hell they were screaming about. Josh McDaniels this time. I don't know what it was. Maybe him going for that field goal late. Now, when they got up in the cuts, the bowl cuts face last week with that, he told them, smarten up. Smarten up. This time, for once, bowl cut could have just yelled, scoreboard, scoreboard, pointed at the scoreboard. 
Hey, one more thing about next-gen stats and things being suboptimal. Let me relay this in a way that you clones can understand. What if we had jungle next-gen stats? What if we had next-gen stats in the studio and we based every single choice and decision that we make on this show based on that? It would not go well for you clones. For instance, if we asked next-gen stats, if we should go to the phones, next-gen would tell me that that would be the most suboptimal call of the season. Taking even one call would be the most suboptimal call of the season. Same with your tweets. Same with your emails. Suboptimal. Taking a phone call, say, from Parody Larry is the equivalent to running a tush push on 4th and 20. It'd be like punting on 1st and goal. It'd be like taking the snap and running backwards to your own end zone. It would be worse than suboptimal, titanic suboptimal. And probably still too soon for that. Definitely a suboptimal night for the pack. And Raider fans, stop crying about how it looked, how it felt, what could have happened. Who cares what could have happened? All I know is what did happen. You got the dub. You got the dub, man. Take that and go with it. Why you have to look for reasons to hate? I know that hate is the new dopamine and you can't get enough. That's a dub. Smarten up. It's a dub. Take it. Clones, what do you want when you're craving protein or you need more energy? Not bars, not sugary snacks, not energy drinks. You want beef, pure and simple. Where's the beef? It's in a package of Old Trapper Beef Jerky. Old Trapper is not your old man's jerky. Shriveled, dry, tasteless. Old Trapper Beef Jerky is made from lean strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. It's tender, it's tasty, it's not tough. And why is it so good? Because Old Trapper is a 50-year-old family business known for its relentless commitment to quality. They take smoked beef extremely seriously and you can taste it in every single bite. Old Trapper is packed with protein. It comes in four amazing flavors to satisfy all your cravings. Quality smoked meat at its finest. It goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. So look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. Clones, if you do not see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? Jared Verge joining us. Afterwards, you said you did your very best not to show any emotion, but that you didn't do a great job of that. How did it feel to finally get home once again a couple of times and get the quarterback on the ground? Oh, you know, it's good. You know, like I said before, I've played well into my role of, you know, teams are going to focus on me. They're going to focus on me in the pass rush, bringing the slide my way, bringing chips, bringing double teams. And I'm okay with that because if you're doing that, you're giving one-on-one star inside guys. And we got some dogs inside, so I'm not worried about nothing. You get Pat Payton, Braden Fitz, Fabian Lovett, Josh Farmer, all one-on-ones, you're done. Like, you're going to lose no matter what. But getting that one-on-one for me and then being able to take advantage of it, that just meant a lot. Man, that is absolutely the right attitude, right? If they're going to put in all that time and that energy and that effort to double-team you, chip on you, somebody else is going to get an opportunity, and then when they don't, you'll get yours. Let me ask you this. You could have turned pro after last season as a projected first-round pick. How tough was the choice at that time, and then why did you decide to return for another year? 
Oh, no, that's a really hard choice. I'm not even gonna lie to you. Like, you know, that that's the NFL, that's the league, that's a football player's dream. It was really hard, but looking back at it, I, I wouldn't change for the world. You know, Coach Norvell, I stand behind him 100%. I got all my brothers here, Trey Benson, you know, Kaziah Holmes. I got all my favorite teammates here that, like, they encouraged me to come back. They were like, yeah, man, like, if you come back, we're going to do something amazing. And that's like I said before, I had a cheese ball. That's when I made my decision. I was like, yeah, I got to come back. I can't, can't let another season go by without me there. Jared Verse joining us. That's awesome. I'm glad you mentioned Mike Norvell. He He's actually one of my favorite guys. I think he's done an amazing job of flipping that situation in Tallahassee and doing it in no time flat. What's he like as a coach? And then how is he different than other guys you've played for? Oh, his it's, intensity is just out of this world. Like, I've never met somebody that can match my intensity, let alone exceed that on a day-to-day basis. He comes in, he's instantly smiling, you're hyped up, you want to be here, you want to go play ball, you want to do this, you want to do that. Like, anything he says for you run through a wall for him. And that's just the type of coach he is because he inspires you to be your best and he's going to be his best to match you. Hey, Jared, your energy is off the wall, like in, in the best way imaginable, your intensity, your energy. <laughs> Let me ask you something. Were you always like that? Are you hardwired for that? Or did you somehow kind of, did you come up with a plan and a strategy and a way to show up that way every single day? Oh, no, that's just me. I just, I'm hyped up. I'm loud. I'm excited. I like being here. I like working. I like, you know, being on top of you. I like being loud, getting in your face. And, you know, hey, I just got you on this play. I'm going to get you on this next play. I like getting in your face. I like getting in people's heads. I'm just hyped up. And then Coach Novell, he just hypes me up, too. Like, we'll get each other's faces, get hyped up. We're going back and forth. Coach just hypes me up. Like, I just love playing with Coach Novell. Dude, I love it. I love hearing that. Jared Verge joining us. So your path to national prominence, we're having this conversation, and it's pretty amazing because how many, for instance, how many FBS scholarship offers did you get coming out of high school in Pennsylvania? I didn't have any. None? None out of high school, none. Dude, that's incredible. All right, so here you are at Florida State right now. We're talking about a projected first-round pick. You had the amazing year last year. You're playing really well right now. What's going through your mind at that point? Were you thinking, hey, listen, I don't know what they're missing, but I know I'm a high-level FBS player. I know I'm a guy who's got a major future in this game. Like, what was your mindset at that time? Oh, my mindset was everybody that would look at me, they're going to regret that. During COVID, I left. I opted out. I went home. All I did was work out. My whole mindset was anybody that overlooked me, they're never going to do that again. They're going to wish they took advantage of the chance they had. I went, worked hard, went back to Albany, have two good back-to-back seasons there, and I came here. And I, my mindset was the same. Anybody that ever gets in my way is going to get moved out of my way. Dude, that, that's amazing. So when you went to Albany, was that just a matter of you getting the opportunity? Like, somebody give me a chance. I'll show you what I can do. Like, exactly what clicked for you there and then not only to get the shot at Florida State, but to dominate the way you have, was it all about the opportunity? I just needed the opportunity. I knew what I could do. I knew I could take advantage of any opportunity given to me. I knew I could go out there. I could make plays. I knew I could play within the system. I knew I could do stop the run. I knew I could get in the backfield on the pass. I knew I could do all this amazing stuff. I just needed the opportunity to do that. And when they gave me the opportunity, I said, all right, that's all you need to do. Jared Verge joining us. You made the most of that opportunity. So I'm guessing the job might be a little bit more straightforward when your offense is averaging 42 a game. What's it like for you to be on the sideline and watch quarterback Jordan Travis and running back Trey Benson doing the work they do every single Saturday? Oh, it's amazing because I know how hard those guys work. 
like all during the summer, you see Jay Trev on the field throwing passes to the wide receivers and the tight ends. Trey was working out with me all summer, so we're going to the gym, then we're hitting the field, then we're going to the sauna, then we're doing this, we're doing that. We're getting all like rehab every day, like we're doing all this great stuff together. So I know how hard both of them work. And then to see all that hard work translate to the field, it just hypes me up. I see Jay Trev throw a touchdown, I see him all hyped up. I see him trying to lower his shoulder when somebody comes out. I'm like, but you quarterback, stop that. But then Trey, you see him taking it. 60, 50, 8, 70, you however many yards it was down the field. And that's just like, it just hypes me up because those are my guys, those are my brothers. And I'm hyped up. Their success is my success. Jared, there's so much talk about Florida State making it to the college football playoff. I understand you've got a lot of work ahead of you, and I know you've got stuff you have to get done before then, but there is that talk. There is that hype. Do you embrace the hype or do you consider it noise and block it all out? What do you do with it? I'm glad that we put ourselves in a position to have this conversation. We're, we're having this conversation of Florida State being in the playoffs. But at the end of the day, it's worried about the next game. I try not to get on social media too much because everybody's a critic. Everybody's going to either hype you up or bring you down. And I feel like the whole team kind of does the same. But our focus is the next game. We got a game this weekend. We're not worried about the game next weekend until we handle this one first. Yeah, I always ask the question, but since you brought it up and you laid it out perfectly, in terms of social media, what's more dangerous? All the hype and everybody telling you how awesome you are or all the negativity and people telling you you suck? I think neg- I think the hype is actually worse because the negativity, you expect that from people. You hear that from other fans all the time, but then sometimes if it comes from your own fans, it hurts even more. But the positivity, I think if you get your head too high, it can have you feeling too out of your position, out of your world, and then it can mess you up, mess up your mindset. When you fail, it can mess you up even more and bring you down to a lower level. All right, so Jared, I've done this a long, long time. In fact, when I broke into the business, I used to have the legend Bobby Bowden on the program. And Bobby Bowden was larger than life, man. Dude, this guy was so amazing. And not only was he such an amazing coach and a legend, but he was accessible, man. He was so cool. He would do the shows. He was always available to the media. So I remember the heyday. I know what it was like. And I saw so many guys come through the program. Now that Florida State is back and all of a sudden you are that program once again, do the players come back? What's it like when the family, the Florida State, the Noel family comes back and no players come back? What's that been like? Oh, it's amazing. You know, you see all these, the legends, the guys that built this foundation for us to be in the position we are in today. You know, they built Florida State into what it is today. So for them to come back, we're like, all right, that's going to be us one day. We got to put on a show for them. We got to do what we can to make them proud of the people that are wearing their jerseys. I'm wearing number five. There's so many guys before me that have worn number five that are way better of a player than I am. And seeing them come back, I'm like, I got to make them, like, proud of me wearing their jersey and be like, yeah, I used to wear five, too. I feel like that goes for everybody's mindset on the team. All right, so in terms of mindset, found thought about that. What's the mindset right now? Like, does it feel like when you hit the field now, you are hunted every single week and you're going to get everybody's best shot? Or do you take the field always looking to dictate the situation yourself and think everybody's got to deal with us, not the other way around? You know, I think we had to go both ways with it. We learned early on in the season that people are going to give us their best game. We're never going to get somebody's worst game. They're not going to look the same on film as they do versus us. They're going to become the best player, the best version of them. And we're all very excited for that. But when you step on the field with us, you're stepping on the field with the Seminoles. We're not here to play around with you. We're not here to joke around with you. We're here to dominate. And it's as simple as that. When you step on the field with us, you're stepping on the field with Florida State. And you're going to get Florida State's best. I'm going to walk off on that answer. I love it. He's a defensive end for Florida State. He's in his second season there, having another big year. And the Seminoles are up to number four. They've got Syracuse on Saturday night or Saturday noon Eastern, I should say. Hey, Jared, really good to have you on the show. Appreciate the way you showed up. Love watching you play. And nice to talk to you, man. Thank you so much.
Man, thank you for having me. It was a wonderful opportunity. Have a good day. U.S. Cellular knows how important your kids' relationship with technology is, and they have made it their mission to help them establish good digital habits early on. That's why they have partnered with Screen Sanity, a nonprofit dedicated to helping kids navigate the digital landscape. And for a smarter start to the school year, U.S. Cellular is also offering a free basic phone on new eligible lines, providing an alternative to a smartphone for kids. Start smarter with U.S. Cellular. Visit uscellular.com slash built for us to find out more. Restrictions do apply. Visit uscellular.com for terms. Let's talk some baseball. Between the wild card sweeps and the off days and the totally getting overshadowed by football, the MLB postseason has been pretty much a gigantic dud so far until last night. Until the Phillies and the Braves played an instant classic and actually gave us all something to talk about. The first part of that game was utterly dominated by an utterly dominant and utterly underrated and utterly underappreciated Zach Wheeler. This dude entered the game yesterday with both the lowest postseason whip and the lowest postseason opponent batting average in baseball history. That was where he stood coming into the game, and then he takes a no-hitter into the sixth inning against the best lineup in the league. I mean, this is some pretty compelling stuff. The game was so insane that somehow that dude, of all people, the dude who took a no-no into the sixth against one of the best offensive teams I've ever seen, that dude ended up blaming himself for what ended up being a brutally devastating loss for the Phillies. It's frustrating, but like I said, I, I kind of let them get the momentum going, and, um, you know, that's my fault. So, um, you know, I let them rip back in the game, and uh, it's tough. But, you know what, now we're going to Philly, and we're going to have to play at our place, and um, it's not fun playing there. Look, I get what he's saying. He couldn't finish the seventh. He let the Braves kept the lead down to one, but he still left with the lead. The game was obviously not on Zach Wheeler, and it wasn't on Bryce Harper either. Even if Bryce got totally burned trying to make an aggressive play, that was probably not a smart play. But I think people are talking way too much about Bryce and the Phillies and not nearly enough about Austin Riley because nobody single-handedly blew that game for the Phillies, but Riley might have single-handedly won that game and saved the Braves' season. First, it was his two-run bomb to give the ATL the lead with two outs, and a full count in the bottom of the eighth. Bam. Here he comes. Riley in the air to left field. On the run, Marsh. There it goes. Austin Riley has given the Braves the lead in the eighth. Monster shot. Titanic shot. Clutch as hell. And if that weren't enough, if that weren't epic enough and clutch enough, this dude followed that up in the top of the ninth with a straight-up Jeter out of nowhere, flipping the ball to Posada to nail Jeremy Giambi. This seriously might be one of the greatest postseason defensive plays we have ever seen and one of the best game-ending plays of all time. I'm talking about this. He deals a 2-2. Castellanos in the air to right center field. Harris is on the run. Harris at the track. He leaps, and he makes the catch. Harper might be doubled up. The throw gets away. The throw first. It's over. 
and it's a double up to end game two. Wow. I mean, there's bang, bang, and then there's whatever the hell that was. That was incredible. No, Harper should not have been caught that far off the base. But he was trying to score the tying run from first. It's understandable why he took off the way he did. What isn't understandable is where the hell Austin Riley came from to scoop up a wild throw that missed the cutoff and still double off Harper at first. He's got to come up with the ball first and then make that throw. I mean, such an amazing play in such a huge spot. It's the best team in baseball being the best team in baseball and saving themselves from the brink of a disastrous 0-2 hole. Unfortunately, I cannot say the same about the Dodgers. They did not save themselves from the brink of a disastrous 0-2 hole to a divisional rival. They're in that hole right now. And after a total snooze fest again at Dodger Stadium, where the Dodger bats never showed up, now they're on the brink. A team that they always dominate just went into their house and ripped two and has them on the brink of a catastrophic elimination. Here's the real problem for the Dodgers. This is not at all surprising. It should be. It should be straight up shocking that the Dodgers are getting worked in a playoff series by jungle favorite Tori Lovello and the D-backs. It should be a straight up shock that they can't hit a lick. But anybody who's watched this team in any postseason that didn't take place in a bubble has watched this same movie over and over again. Over and over again. And that's a giant problem. And it's a problem that might finally cost my guy Dave Roberts' job. Just know this. I'm not advocating for that. I love Dave Roberts. And if they lose, it won't be his fault. And if they fire him, it won't fix that problem. He's not the problem. Their inability to get the ball on the bat is the problem. Case in point, Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman are combined 1-for-13 in this series so far. Come October, your stars better play like stars, and these stars aren't. That's not on the manager. It's not the manager's fault that two of the best hitters in baseball are producing absolutely nothing at the most critical moment of the season for a team that doesn't exactly have the deepest and most dangerous lineup in the first place. Not that it's all on Betts and Freeman, because nobody is hitting for them. And the team also just looks defeated already. Let's put it this way. They don't look like Tory's team right now. Roberts insists, you know, because he is forever upbeat. There is no quit. It's not that. They're not defeated. They're just not hitting. I thought all night long we had pitches to hit. And um, we just, you know, couldn't do much with them. Um, you know, once we got to their pen, you know, we had a, an opportunity. We cashed in on one run, and we could have had a chance for a big inning, couldn't get the uh, the hit or the situational at bat. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's certainly fight. There always has been. That's the problem. They can't cash anything. If there's fight, if there's fight, now is the time for the Dodgers to show it because if you can't put the bat on the ball, and your starters can't get past the second inning, you're done. And then so will your manager. Just don't think for a second that he's the problem or that firing him is going to fix that. He's not the problem. He's the scapegoat. He's not the problem. He's doing his job, but almost nobody else there is. 
Wake the hell up, Dodgers. I've seen this movie. And while it's not Space Jam 2 bad, because nothing is, thanks for that, LaFib. This movie I'm watching, starring the Dodgers, does suck. And me, Dodger Jim, and my wife, Dodger Jano, will be sitting in the theater throwing up all over each other if we have to see this movie again. But if I'm being an optimist, at least Bobby Miller got out of the first inning. And his stint was twice as long as Clayton Kershaw's. Maybe their game three starter, Lance Lynn, can break the third inning barrier. Of course, if they do, if they somehow, some way, find a way to win game three, Doc has already said that they're starting Kershaw in game four on short rest. Or as Venereal D in the fee called him, Chokeshaw. Not ideal, but let's face it. It's not like the guy's gassed. He only got one out. Of course, he gave up six runs. Anyway, I'm not covering the Dodgers. By covering, I mean I'm not making any excuse, man. This is bad. This is bad. But you know what? Give the Diamondbacks their run. Give the Diamondbacks their credit. They've earned every bit of this. Man, Torrey is sitting on a giant right now. These guys are not afraid. They're used to getting punched in the face by L.A. They go into L.A. and they rip two. And the numbers do not suggest that if you lose the first two at home in a best of five, that things end well for you. Dodgers are on the brink. The Braves would have been on the brink if not for that incredible win last night. Let's go to the phones. Man, this written nonsense. Let's go to Phoenix. Andrew. Andrew. You see, the jungle Tourette's, it's just so real. Andrew in Phoenix. Andrew, how are you? Hey, Andrew, you're on the air. Andrew, what's going on? Dummy. Dummy. Hey, Andrew, do me a favor. Keep this in mind. I put you on hold. You don't put me on hold. I put you on hold. You wait on hold to talk to me. I don't wait on hold to talk to you. I hang up on you. You don't hang up on me. Do not put that phone down. Keep it glued to your ear. If you have to, and you're multitasking, you can put the speaker on, and the second you hear me, quickly turn it off, pick it up, put it to the side of your head, and talk into it. So all this written nonsense, and I'm like, let's just go to the phones and change up, and it's even worse there. So where do you go now? Jeff Brom, Jeff, it is great to run you down once again, and good to have you back on the show. How you feeling? I'm, I'm doing great. Thanks, Jim. Good to have you, Jeff. All right, so Louisville is off to their best start since 2013. You beat your first-ranked opponents, become bowl eligible. What would you say are the biggest contributing factors to you playing as well as you are right now and being undefeated after your first six games? Well, I think we've been very fortunate to kind of withstand some really close games and just kind of find a way to hang in there and win, especially in the end. So that kind of shows our toughness and grit, and that's been good to see because we could easily lost three of those games for sure. And I think going into Notre Dame, 
you know what? We've made a lot of improvements every week. We try to identify the things we screw up and try to fix them and make sure that it doesn't happen again. I thought we made progress on that. So going into Notre Dame, I just think it was the perfect storm. We were hungry. Our fans in this city was was uh, dying and starving for a win. So we kind of felt the need to go out there and play our, our best football. And, and Notre Dame just brings a great crowd. And I just think, uh, you know, we were ready for the challenge. Our guys played tough. They played physical. We found a way to kind of pull away in the second half. And it was just huge for our program and, and, and great for our city and great for our football team. You know, Jeff, I'm glad you brought up your fans because I was going to say, when you and I spoke in July, you talked about how much it meant to you to get the support that you were getting from the community when 6,000 new season tickets were sold. Watching that Notre Dame game from afar, it sounded like every single man, woman, and child in the city of Louisville was there to experience that win. What was the energy like inside that stadium? Well, it was tremendous, and uh, you know what? It's, it's something that uh, I'm sure these fans have dreamed about for a while. Our players love playing in this atmosphere, but you know, this is a tremendous NFL stadium. we got all the amenities that you want uh, in suites and chairback seats, and it's just a beautiful stadium and setup. So to, to fill this thing out and to play a high-caliber team and to find a way to win against a, a team like Notre Dame, it really uh, solidifies what our fans want. You know, they want – uh, championship level football they want relevant football teams every year they want to compete against the best and to be able to, to at least bring that to them on this one night was very special and not only that jeff it solidifies what you're doing what you're building jeff Rom, my guest and how you've got such a great buy-in and it helps also right to start off quickly another quick start for your team you get that pick of sam hartman that was his first interception of the year your team has outscored the opposition 41 nothing in the first quarter this year certainly that's something you want to happen is it something you talk about is it something you can even coach well, we probably had some luck on our side. But you know what? We do prepare uh, for the first couple series of the game, and we make sure that we're doing some things that we're good at and that we feel comfortable with. And, of course, you change it up a little bit every week. But I just think our guys were hungry in this game. Our defense has continued to improve every week. We've found ways to, to get more pressure on the quarterback. We knew going into this game that we had to affect San Hartman. We had to take away their running back and their tight end, force them to throw the ball more than they wanted, uh, get – Sam's jersey dirty and I just think we were able to do that uh and we found a way to just kind of ride that momentum and and let our fans kind of feed into it and it just kind of snowballed and I just think we really uh played a, a exceptional second half uh overall and it really uh, was very rewarding to, to find a way to win in that fashion. Jeff Brom joining us. I'm glad you mentioned the defense. I was going to ask you about that. So let me jump back to the offense. I spoke to your outstanding running back, Jawar Jordan, two weeks ago, and we talked about how important it was for him to be a team leader, how he conducts himself both on and off the field, and that's key, right? But if you're going to lead from the front and expect others to follow you into battle, how you play on the big stage is always going to matter. You want to have your stars play like stars when it matters most, and that's exactly what he did again how would you sum up what Jawar means to your program uh, Jawar is fantastic just a, a true leader and really a leader by example he doesn't talk a whole lot he doesn't uh, uh, boast about his ability and what he can do he's very unselfish we have three running backs we play but of course he's the uh, the one that gets the most of the carries the most touches but uh, you know what he's just smooth he's got quickness and speed if you give him a little hole a little room in the hole he's going to break off a tackle and go the distance and I just think he's the guy you got to get touches to provide him some space to allow him to do his thing. Uh, but he's very unselfish. You can't ask for a better teammate than that. And I just think 
you know, we got a couple really good players on our team that need to touch the ball every game, but he's definitely uh, one of the bell cows. All right, so what about your quarterback, Jack Plummer? He played for Purdue. He played for Cal the last couple of years. So facing Notre Dame was nothing new to him. He had a familiarity to it. But obviously, as much as that helps, he's acclimated to Louisville really quickly. In fact, how is he acclimated so quickly, and how pleased are you with the way he's handling the offense? Well, we're fortunate to have a, a gentleman like him as well, just a terrific person, uh, works really hard, also very unselfish, uh, spends a lot of time on his craft, wants to uh, please everybody, uh, has really kind of uh, got along with everybody on the team from day one and wants to be the leader and wants to help direct this program to wins and wants to be the guy with the pressure on his shoulders. And you know what? As a quarterback, not always going to be perfect, and he hasn't been perfect throughout the season, but, man, he competes. He battles, and to come through in this game the way he did and to be so efficient, to throw the ball away when he had to, to uh, move in the pocket and buy some time, get completions, and execute the offense as, as perfect as we wanted. It was a great day by him, and it wasn't huge numbers he put up, but, man, he was sharp all day long. He didn't turn the ball over, and we needed him to play that way. And Jeff, I think as a former quarterback, that's really high praise for your quarterback. Is it natural that as a former quarterback, you might coach your quarterbacks even harder? Or are you aware of that, conscious of that, and try not to? Like, what is your approach with quarterbacks? Well, I used to have a problem with coaching too hard, so I tried to pull back on that. Uh, and, uh, and Jack definitely has, has, has taken a lot of my hard coaching over the years. So I think, uh, you know, I know he's got experience. I know he cares. I know he wants to do well. That's a hard position. You got people coming at you from all angles. You got people that want to hit you, tackle you, take you to the ground. You're going to, uh, you know, have to be able to see through the traffic, find ways to get completions. There's just a lot we ask for that position. So, you know, I've coached him a whole lot uh, friendlier, I guess is the best way to put it. I understand what he's going through. We just want to try to help guide him in the right direction. But, uh, you know, he's a great leader. So I just think, uh, you know, we all learn and do our part, but he's so intelligent, so smart. We just got to put him in the right position to make plays. Louisville head football coach Jeff Brom joining us quickly. Jeff six zero is great, but six zero does not necessarily mean smooth and easy. In fact, anything but. Two weeks ago, you had to grind out that thirteen to ten come from behind win at NC State. What did your team show you in rallying from that ten point deficit at halftime and doing so on a short week? Well, they have definitely done everything we've asked. Uh, these guys want to win. Uh, they listen. They're coachable. Uh, they compete to the end. We try to just kind of teach the core principles of playing hard and tough and smart and making sure we win that battle. And if we can make a few plays along the way, great. But uh, they have really hung in there. Uh, they've been, like I said, they've improved every week. Um, you know, we try to, you know, it sounds cliche, but it's a one-game season for us. And we want to give it everything we can to win the next game, lay it all on the line, play to the end. And when that's over, guess what? you got to do it again, whether you win or lose. And uh, unfortunately, half of the win, uh, half the teams win, half of the teams lose. And you got to be able to, uh, withstand uh, negative criticism when you lose. You've got to be able to handle the pats on the back when you win. So I just think you've got to erase that as much as you can. We've got to concentrate on the next game. Um, you know, I've had three top five wins at Purdue uh, in my six years, and every every time we lost the next game. So I know how this thing works. And uh, uh, as soon as you you think you've arrived, you're going to get beat, uh, and it'll humble you, real, humble you real fast. So we've got a lot of work on our, on our hands to go to Pitt. Uh, and have to win a conference game. I was just going to say, so leave me with that thought. That's a great point that you just made, that you had those top wins at Purdue, and then you know what happens after the fact, because now you've got not only a dangerous pit team, but a wounded pit team. You know Pat Narduzzi, you know him. You know he's going to be fired up to have his guys ready to roll. They've got a four-game losing streak. If it's dangerous enough coming off an emotional win, what is your message to your team this week, and what are you expecting from Pitt? 
Well, luckily we keep the same message every week about a one-game season, and, uh, and and we talk about it, and it's a, a year-long thing we, we preach. and uh, So we're definitely going to do that. But at the same time, uh, Pitt's going to be hungry, and normally the hungrier football team that puts in the work is going to win. So we've got to be able to put in all the work this week, be able to look in the mirror at the end of the night, individually know that, hey, did we give everything we could to be the best we could be? And then that just kind of adds up. But as soon as we start to kind of take it easy on that, uh, even just a few people – uh, that's not going to be good. So I just think we know Pitt has great defense. Coach Narduzzi's always been great on defense. They're trying to find their identity on offense. They're going to come out with a new quarterback. But he's a four-star quarterback that uh, we recruited at Purdue, so I know he's talented. And they're going to be ready to go. You know, when they, they want to run the football. They want to throw play action. They want to play great defense. They want to force you to turn the ball over. So, you know, you only get so many series of games. We've got to take care of the football. We've got to be able to make plays, get it in our playmakers' hands. And it'll be a, a true test, and it'll, it'll see what we're made of. And I guarantee you it'll be a very tough football game all the way to the end. Oh, no doubt. That conversation was well worth the wait. You've got Louisville and they're playing great ball. They're coming off a tremendous win over Notre Dame. Big challenge coming up and an opportunity against Pat Narduzzi and Pitt. And they are 6-0 on the year. Jeff, I appreciate it. I know we tried to make it happen yesterday. I really appreciate you making time for us today. Great to have you back. Good luck this weekend. And always good to talk to you, Jeff. Okay, thanks, Jim. Have a good day. Good night now!